Hello again. <laughs> Anyone get a nap this afternoon? <laughs> or, I'm not going to have you stand or never say never if you ever, never, never, never. Um, but yeah, the nap, the almighty nap. I had a nap that resulted in waking up on a wet pillow with all of my eyelashes stuck together. <laughs> it was obviously a good one. Um, so if you get close to me, my eyelashes look really strange because that's, they're really hard to unstick once they're stuck. So anyways, that explains that. Um, <laughs> um, 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 I guess we'll dive right in. I want to just check the time. Okay, cool. Um, so tonight we're going to be talking about the journey of the heart. This obviously is a journey a real journey. There's um, somewhere that we were, there's somewhere that we want to be, and there's a place that we are, wherever you are on the spectrum. And that matters. The destination and the progress and all that totally matters. But what I'm digging into and finding as I'm um, investigating further the life of Joshua is what really matters in this process and in this journey is, is the state of our heart. How is our heart doing? Um, I think we know that, that God cares the very, very most about that. So I first want to start off with, because I am an adventure person. I'm a number seven on the Enneagram. I'm an experiencer of life. I daydream about travel. I have a list of places that I'm going to go someday or revisit. I have this tendency to want to go back to the places I've been that I like. I, I do love going new places, but when I go somewhere, I like, I keep New York again, 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 again. I daydream. I plan my itinerary. I love it. It's um, a happy place for me. So I want you to think about going on a journey or a vacation to your favorite place with your favorite people. So think about favorite place, favorite people, get where would you go? Give me, pop them out there. Give me some travel ideas. You're here. Here is it with us. <sighs> My work here is over. <laughs> well done. Any, anything else? Disneyland. Hawaii. Yellowstone. Crystal Lake. Crescent Lake. Wallawa Lake. Oh, yes. Dominican Republic, Switzerland, Canada, heaven, Bermuda. It's a heaven sandwich. Where else? Korea, Israel, Paris, oh. Wales, Scotland. Who would you go with? Who would your favorite people be? And it's fine to say by yourself. I get that. Family. Children, girlfriends, cool. So if I told you you were going on that trip next week, how would that feel? <laughs> Exciting? Yeah, overwhelming for sure. Exciting. Would, you, would it be something you'd be willing to take some work, time off work for? Would it be something you'd be willing to shell out a little bit of money for? Would you be thinking about planning and what you're going to pack, what you're going to wear? Or is this me speaking? <laughs> Okay, yeah, 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 right? Okay, so hold that over here. Next, I want you to think about going on a journey or a vacation to your least favorite place. 
with the hardest people for you to be around. <laughs> I'm going to ask for names, so get ready. Um, get that list going. But let's talk about places for you. And, and for, for some of you, you might be like, that's my favorite place. But where would be your least favorite place? NASCAR. NASCAR. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> NASCAR. Awesome. Disneyland. Disneyland. Okay. No shaming, no public shaming, please. There are counselors here, but not enough. <laughs> Bakersfield. Bakersfield. <laughs> we got a second to that. Any other least favorite places? The DMV. I love you. That's so funny. With your in-laws. We're already going there. Anyone? Who else? Least favorite people, hardest to be around. Anyone? Oh. Anyone? Anyone? Your neighbor. Okay. Okay. So, how, how excited would you be to take time off for that trip? Looking forward to it? Excited to put some money on that? Looking forward to planning your outfits, packing those bags? No. See how you can get out of it, trying to come up with some creative ways to get out of it. So it matters, right? It matters if your heart is in it. I will confess, and again, no public shaming, my least favorite place, what came to my mind was a field trip on a school bus, a yellow school bus, with a bus full of like, I don't even care what age kids, I'm not discriminating, it's just the vast number of children and I'm like somehow chaperoning, and we go to like Evergreen Aviation Museum. <laughs> I kid you not, every time I go in that building and come out, I'm five years older. <laughs> I need a nap. I, it, I, it's not my jam. It's not my jam. I do it for my boy. I love him. But boy, what we won't do. So our, it matters if our hearts are in this, right? You with me? So this evening's talk focuses on the journey of our heart during a season of wandering or being in the desert or in that middle place. However long that journey is, um, we've left the place of the known and we have not yet arrived in the place that we're hoping for, the promised land. And that's a really vulnerable place for our hearts to be in this middle space of waiting, wandering, longing, daring to continue to dream and to desire um, so tending our hearts in this process is just paramount um, to being able to be receptive to the inheritance that's coming. So I want to read here. Oh, first I want to, hold on. So I want to imagine first being allowed to see that promised land, whatever you feel like that inheritance or that promised land would be for you. And I know for some of us, we heard in the um, kind of group conversation um, this morning that some of us don't have a clear definition. I don't have a clear definition. You just feel like there's more. But some of you have a real clear desire for what you want that to be. You want to be healthy. You want to be healed. You want a spouse. You want a relationship mended or restored. Um, you want a satisfying and fulfilling career. You want your own family. But because of, so imagine being able to see that. Imagine being able to see, this is going to be yours. And then imagine that because of others and their lack of faith, their disbelief, their unwillingness to participate in bringing it about, in fact, even their working against that 
you can't have it. And not just now, not just for now, but for 40 years. So I know we've talked about this scripture, but I'm going to read it. Um, Jennifer kind of went went through it with us um, last night a little bit. Um, I referenced it today, but um, I love the Message Bible. I'm just that person, the kind of illustrative nature and more pedestrian level like um, words help me a lot. Um, So I'm going to... um, I am going to read about the scouting when Moses sent the 12 um, to go scout out the promised land. So I'm starting in, and it's really annoying if you have any other translation other than the message in front of you. It is super annoying because you're like, where is she? What is that? Where is that? You know, you know what I'm saying? Different translations. So I'm starting around um, chapter 13, or I'm in chapter 13 around verse 17. Numbers. Thank you. Details. (laughs) When Moses sent them off to scout out Canaan, he said, Go up through the Negev and then into the hill country. Look the land over. See what it is like. Assess the people. Are they strong? Are they weak? Are there few or are there many? Observe the land. Is it pleasant or harsh? Describe the towns where they live. Are they open camps or fortified with walls? And the soil, is it fertile or barren? Are there forests? And try to bring back a sample of the produce that grows there. This is the season for the first ripe grapes. With that, they were on their way. They scouted out the land from here to there and back around and over there. All the names that I don't want to say. Um, And when they arrived in the Eshel Valley, they cut off a branch with a single cluster of grapes. And it took two men to carry it, slung on a pole. One cluster of grapes took two people to carry. That's some grapes. (laughs) They also picked some pomegranates and figs. They named the place the Eshel Valley, the Grape Cluster Valley. I guess that's what that means. Because of the huge cluster of grapes they had cut down there. After 40 days of scouting out the land, they returned home. They presented themselves before Moses and Aaron and the whole congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness. They reported to the whole congregation and showed them the fruit of the land and they told the story of their trip. We went to the land which you sent us, and oh, does it ever flow with milk and honey. Just look at this fruit. The only thing is that the people who live there are fierce. Their cities are huge and well fortified. Worse yet, we saw descendants of the giant Anak. Amalekites are spread out to the Negev, Hittites, Jebusites, and the Amorites hold the hill country, and the Canaanites are established on the Mediterranean Sea along the Jordan. Caleb interrupted, called for silence before Moses and said, let's go up and take the land now. We can do it. Caleb was Joshua's homeboy. They were like the good ones, if you remember. But the others said, we can't attack those people. They're way stronger than we are. And then they spread scary rumors among the people of Israel. They said, we scouted out the land from one end to the other. It's a land that swallows up people whole. Everybody we saw was huge. We even saw giants. Alongside of them, we felt like grasshoppers, and they looked down on us as if we were grasshoppers. And chapter 14 starts, the whole community was in an uproar, wailing all night long. Boy, does this devolve from like fear to like faithlessness. We had a sermon series once that was going from fear to faith. 
Like that's like the hopefully upward spiral that we want to be on. And they go from just straight fear to totally faithless. So the whole community was in an uproar, wailing all night long. All the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The entire community was in on it. Why didn't we just die in Egypt or in this wilderness? Why has God brought us to this country to kill us? Our wives and children are about to become plunder. Why don't we just head back to Egypt and right now? Moses and Aaron fell on their faces in front of the entire community, gathered in emergency session. Joshua and Caleb, members of the scouting party, ripped their clothes and addressed the assembled people of Israel. The land we walked through and scouted out is a very good land, very good indeed. If God is pleased with us, he will lead us into that. A land that flows, as they say, with milk and honey, and he'll give it to us. Don't just rebel against God and don't be afraid of those people. Why, we'll have them for lunch. (laughs) They have no protection and God is on our side. Don't be afraid of them. But now up in arms, the entire community was talking about hurling stones at them. So I was struck as I was reading this. The big question, I think it's at the top of your, of your page um, of notes tonight. How in the world was Joshua able to journey through the conditions of the desert for 40 years and still have a heart that was believing God for more? That an inheritance was coming. And not only that, but he was ready to lead these people <laughs> in the conquering and claiming of the promised land. Just as Joshua, we want to do everything in our power to make sure we are ready to receive the inheritance that God has for us. When it's time, we want to be spiritually and emotionally healthy. We want to be alive in spirit, and we want to be ready to receive and embrace and move into the call. So I found a couple of themes um, for Joshua that I think maybe address or begin to make sense of the question, how was he able? How was he able to do this? see it, have it basically put on mega hold, have to go on a wandering journey with people who really were responsible for that and still keep his heart ready, ready to receive and ready to lead. So a few of the points I have, we're going to walk through tonight. They are listed in your book if you want to write a few notes. You will notice some redundancy from the lessons um, from the wilderness from earlier. And I think that's really valid because these are things that we're seeing emerge and be very important from this season and to continue to lean into them, especially as it relates to a real person who had to do these things. And then I'm going to share some of my story along with that too. So the first thing I think that he did was he remembered God's faithfulness. He remembered God's track record. God had an incredible supernatural track record with the Israelites. He freed them from slavery, from Egypt. So Egypt at the time was the largest and the strongest nation. And he freed them from that with the plagues and turning Pharaoh's heart, if even only temporarily, to get him through the parted Red Sea and across the other side. So so they're saying, gosh, if he can free us from that, like these are tribes and these are kind of scary people and these are kind of situations, but if he can do, he can do this. If he can do that, he can do this. So they're remembering God's faithfulness and his track record. 
that he's also remembering the presence and the provision with them up to the des- in the desert at that point. So what does that look for, like for us? This is something that my husband and I are doing consistently. We're wanting to make sure that we're hearing. Are we in the right place? Are we where God has us? Sometimes we doubt. It's like, are we, did we hear that right? So what we do is we really review the track record of who God has been to us and for us over the years of our life. And even in this specific season that led to this wandering, we'll ask questions like, um, is there any doubt that this is where he has led us? Do we feel like we made a mistake at any point? Do we feel like we've heard him wrong? And we probably have this conversation every couple of weeks to just review and to remind. We'll remind ourselves of what brought us to this point. Um, We'll think about my husband and his choice to go back to school and the different ways that God opened the doors, allowing for that school opportunity to happen in this season of our life was really and truly miraculous. He was able to get a scholarship and his mom, when he was in high school, set aside a savings account for him for college in some kind of a fund. I don't know what kind of fund it was, but the time he went to college was about the time the stock market was not doing well. So the funds were really low. So she didn't take them out. So she's just left them in there all these years and therefore his education. And it was time for him to go to school and it paid the balance of his master's degree. So there was all these things, a scholarship, a pile of money that had just been sitting there for 15 years that no one really remembered about. All these different things, the way law school felt very affirming to him, his engagement with the classes and the feedback he got from the professors and his grades and the relationships, all those things were affirmations that, yeah, that was, that was what we were supposed to do. We heard God right. And me with closing my practice, reviewing How was it that I was feeling those last few years? We tried all these other different interventions to see if that would help, and it didn't, and this, and processing, and how it all went. And it's like, yeah, that was what I was supposed to do. And on the other side, yeah, that's what I was supposed to do. We haven't missed something. This is where we're supposed to be. So we review that to remind ourselves and to remember um, God's faithfulness. The next item is, um, he believed God to be bigger. He believed God to be bigger than what it was they were facing. Whether it was giants or fortified cities, walls, armies, large numbers of trained men, he says, if God is pleased with us, he will bring us into the land and he will give it to us. We will devour them like bread. They will have no protection. The Lord is with us, so don't be afraid of them. So they weren't looking at themselves They weren't looking at those in front of them that looked kind of scary and big. They kept looking at God and believing him to be bigger than the whole thing. This is something, well, I'm building on that. He had to actively do that for 40 years. God, you are bigger than this expanse of desert. You have more power than this enormous community of doubters and complainers. These rebellious people will not have the final say. God, you will, you promised. So leaning into that belief and believing God to be bigger than what he was facing on the daily basis. So in this season, maybe even I will say in the last month, actually, we have had some issues at our house. And when you are trying to be, what do you call that? Financially responsible because you have unlimited amount of funds and you don't have any coming in, you're trying to be, 
use discretion on what you're buying and holding off on and waiting for, et cetera, et cetera. And then you find out that you have termites in your house. That is a true story, you guys. If you want my autograph after this is over, I can give that to you because come to find out, very few people in our area actually have termites. We called an exterminator and said, we think we have termites. And he said, no, you probably don't. Everyone just thinks they do, but it's something else. But I'll come take a look. So I'm like, yes, it's not termites. He are, he's so confident. And he came out and he looked, and I will not say the word he said, but he was like excited when he said, you've got termites. <laughs> I was like, sweet. I'm so glad you're happy about this. And he went and he counted the holes and like, oh my gosh, this one burrowed into here. And let me get a flashlight and look behind all your appliances because that's where they love to be. And I was just like, no. Did you have an inspection before you moved in this house? Because that would have saved you like 1500 And I'm like dying as he's like rocking his termite inspection, as he's throwing out numbers and all this kind of stuff. So anyway, we had termites also. The other day, I was closing the window in our bedroom, a little ticked that it was open because it was kind of cold outside, so I had a little, like, attitude when I closed it. And it's a single-paned window. We live in an older house, and I broke the window. So I was like, okay, cool, termites, broken window, no big deal. Um, also, it rained really good, like, a week or two ago, which was really cool to discover. We have a leak in our roof. And wait, it gets better. On Thursday, the day before we leave to come here, I pull in the garage, I close the garage door, I walk up the stairs, and I hear what sounds like the garage door falling on my car. It wasn't, it just sounded like that. But the, the spring, the spring broke into garage door broken. <laughs> so, when you're trying to keep your urge to drive through the Starbucks drive through because you're trying to save money, and then you're shelling out however much money on home improvement, it's pretty disheartening. Makes you want to drive through that drive through a few dozen times. <laughs> <laughs> and I might have done that. You know what? If the termites get 1300 I get three Starbucks. <laughs> so I come up. And it was on the heels of, it gets worse. Um, my husband had a really uh, cool job that he applied for and an, an encouraging interview. Um, he's had a few of those in this season that we've really been hopeful about. And um, he gets invited to interview, and then we don't get a call back. He doesn't get a call back for a second interview. So we were really hopeful about this one uh, a couple weeks ago. And um, so, of course, I'm waiting every day for them to call for the second interview. I know he's going to get it. This is totally going to be the job. And days go by, and there's no call. And that's how the ones prior go. You know, they ha you have an interview, and you never hear from them again until they've actually selected, an and then they'll send you a letter saying, we've hired somebody. So well over a week had gone by, and I think it was finally sinking in. He wasn't going to get the call, and that was the garage door breaking, and then that. And so... I went up to him. He was, bless his heart, um, trimming his beard, you know, sweet man. <laughs> and I just walk into the bathroom because I just saw what happened in the garage. And I was just like, I can't believe this. You know, termites, broken window, leaky roof. What just happened to the garage door? Uh, you didn't get this. They're not calling you back. And he said, 
let me not get the job. <laughs> let our garage door be broken. Let's let God show us that he's bigger. So that's what we're doing. We're letting him show us that he's bigger. And last night in the shower, I was just thinking, Lord, if this season is going to be longer than I anticipated, like I anticipated to be this long, and if you're going to make it like this long, like I'm looking forward to the ways you're going to show us that you're going to take care of us because you're going to have to get creative. And I'm looking forward to seeing what you're going to do. Just coming back to the jobs and the saying no, no's are hard to hear. We want to take the no's personally, right? Like, what did I do wrong? Why didn't they like me? What could I have done better? And my husband and I are on the same page. Like, it's not even about that. He's like, I could call and say, hey, what could I have done better? Like, could I have presented differently? But he's like, this isn't even personal. The no's are not personal. The no's are God shaping the path. He doesn't want us taking a route that's a detour. He doesn't want us taking a road that's not his. So these doors that are being closed are just making the path all the more clear. Not going to say it doesn't hurt. It does. It's disappointing. It totally is. But think about no's that you've been told in your life. Aren't you glad you didn't marry your first boyfriend? (laughs) All right? Aren't you glad maybe that you didn't get into that school you applied for in retrospect that you didn't get that certain job, right? So no's, I mean, we can look, I've said numerous times, I know I'll look back and we'll be grateful for that. Remember that the the no's are just as important as the yeses. I think about when I say no to our son, it's usually because it's for his protection, or because I have something better for him. Sometimes I'll say no for a character-building opportunity, but not really that often, you know? So for protection and because he has better, and something I absolutely delight in, and parenting has helped me to understand the heart of God more, for sure, and so I'm grateful is I love saying yes to my kid. I love it. And I even, I really love it. I love saying yes when he doesn't deserve it. He is supposed to stay in his bed during his book rest. It's my one hour of peace and quiet. He has the door shut. He's got his books. He's got his leap pad and a couple of toys. And he's supposed to stay in his bed for that hour till the timer goes off. And the other day, I heard a big thud which means he jumped down off his bed and I heard some scampering and I opened the door and he's quickly trying to go back to his and be like, I'm just hanging on the ladder. And I was like, Ooh, what were you doing? He's like, well, I saw a bird out the window and I couldn't see it from my bed. I just wanted to go look through the window. And I said, well, come here. And I open up the shade and lift it up and say, Can we see it? No, I don't see it. Well, how about I leave the shades open so you can see it from your bed? It could have been a discipline. You weren't doing what you were supposed to do. But it was an opportunity to say, here you go, dude. Like, let me help you get what you want, even though you didn't get go about it in the right way. 
So I'm learning about God's heart as in connection to what's my heart for my kid and saying no and saying yes. In this part of um, this section of believing God to be bigger, a couple of really great scriptures continually come to mind for me. There's promises in John 4, 4, greater is he who is in you than is he that is in the world. Um, 1 Thessalonians 5.24 says, the one, who call, the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. And then also Romans 6.10 and 11 that talks, the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. So believing bigger. The third thing that I think Joshua did to keep his heart ready was he recognized God's presence and provision. That was really cool today when we came back and we were able to shout out some ways that we feel like God is demonstrating his presence and his provision. That is such an encouragement to me to hear from you guys the ways that you are seeing him interact with you and providing for you and being present with you in this season. And I hope that's an encouragement for you as you look in and you notice and you see and you say that, yeah, that's internalizing that. It's not just this haphazard, like, you know, thing like, oh, that just happened and not a big deal. No, that's God providing. That's God interacting. That's God being with you. He recognized God's presence and provision. And something I think that's really important is probably in, in the daily. He saw the manna as God's provision, not just simply as, oh, that stuff that falls from the sky that I'm tired of. He saw the water coming from the rock as God's miraculous and abundant provision when they needed, the, needed it the most, not finally, some water, it's about time. He saw the cloud by day and the fire by night as God's presence with them, not abandoning them, him leading them, him protecting them, not, oh, he's here, that's nice, doesn't seem like he's doing much. He really received it. In other words, he saw God's presence and his provisions, and he did not dismiss them. He did not trivialize them. He did not downplay it. He didn't just kind of normalize it. It also doesn't appear that he made an idol of the promised land. Like, oh, I'll believe God when we get there. Oh, I'll really know it's him when we finally enter in. I'll worship him when we finally get there. I think we have a tendency to do that with our thing that we want, marriage, children, that career, that new job, success. It's that, do we, do we want that thing from him or do we want him? And another interesting piece is when he takes a long time, what do we do? I think I, I saw that in the illustration of the golden calf. Moses was taking a really long time. That was uncomfortable for them. They needed something to they needed something now. What do we do when God's taken a long time with our thing? That's exactly it. Control is a huge word. We try and get in there and make it happen. Another thing I've seen is compromise. We settle for less. So I want to just challenge us again to kind of reiterate this point, to train our eyes to see it and express gratitude for it. And the more that you look for it, the more that you'll see. 
God is in constant communication with us. He may seemingly be silent on the thing, the big thing, but he's not silent. He is constantly interacting. He's constantly present. So I want to just encourage us to train our eyes to see that. The fourth thing that I noticed that I I see that Joshua did is that he did, he leaned deeper in. And we talked about that today, about leaning deeper in. Versus rebelling and resisting. And then as a result of leaning in, he experienced an influx of resources, was made better and became closer and more intimate with God versus energy wasted and ultimately finding himself and his heart farther away and losing the inheritance altogether like his peers did. So what does that look like for us? I think I I see this um, little phrase sometimes on social media, and it says, don't come this far to only come this far. Yeah, you like that? Don't come this far to only come this far. A whole generation of Israelites died in the wilderness because they resisted and they rebelled and they refused to believe God in the journey toward the more that he had for them. And let's not pattern after them. We have come this far. We've been released from the thing that we were, that was keeping us small. We're in the wide open space. It is unknown, but this isn't our landing, permanent landing spot. Let's not, let's not let this be our permanent landing spot. I heard um, today um, some fears about leaning deeper in that you, that you all kind of sh- shouted out. And I heard some fears expressed that there would be a fear that I'll miss it. I'm afraid, I'm afraid to lean in because I'm afraid that I might not see it. I'm afraid that more will be asked of me. I'm afraid, what, that, I'm afraid that others won't get it. I'm afraid that I'll run out of steam in this process. I'm afraid that I'll resort to control. And when those fears about leaning in and being like, oh, I think I might want to give up. Oh, I think I might want to take a U-turn. Oh, I think I don't want to go any further. Acknowledge these fears. And then go back to number two, which is believe God to be bigger. And then the fifth thing that I'm taking some liberties on, because there's really no mention of this in the text, I say the fifth point is that he regularly cultivated his heart. He had to feel emotionally. So this is about emotions. This is about how he's, his heart's doing. He had to feel the same things that everyone else was feeling, right? If, if scriptures say that Jesus felt everything that was common to man, then Joshua absolutely did. He felt the feelings associated with being in the desert and wandering. So there's a disappointment, the discouragement, the confusion, the frustration, the aggravation, the longing, all of those things he had to have felt, right? But we know where he ended up. We know where he ended up. We know that he was still believing and ready to receive when it was time to enter in. Someone who hasn't attended to their heart and to their emotions has not is not ready to receive, is not still believing. Usually, if you have this experience, so cultivating, let me go back to cultivating. Cultivation means to prepare and to use for the raising of crops. So to loosen and break up the soil to prepare for growth. So constantly kind of pulling up that soil, seeing what kind of seeds, if there's any weeds, whatever's going on, and being really regular with pulling that up to the surface. Because we know, I know as a therapist, um, 
those emotions, if they get shoved down in there, and then if they get worn over, you know, if you see like ground that's been weather-worn, so like our backyard, for example, um, we have an area of landscaping where the, the surface of the soil is just thick like a crust. The shrubs are coming out of it, but it, the, 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 the soil level is just thick like a crust. And that's because it's been exposed to the elements. It's had the rain come, and then the sun has dried it out, and we haven't been cultivating it and churning it up and allowing the nutrients to absorb and tilling the weeds out. So that's the regular cultivation of his heart to be continually pulling out the emotions and presenting them before God so that they're not getting compacted and growing and, and um, turning into something else. I have seen that when emotions are not tended to, they can grow into something pretty destructive. So that pain, that heartache, that hurt, that disappointment, they're like, I'm just going to, I'm not going to deal with it. I don't have time for this, whatever. I don't want to talk about it. I'm not a processor. Shoving that down turns into bitterness, resentment, um, exhaustion. Um, and then at the end of the day, what do you have? So those who have experienced significant trials and have not attended to the very real and understandable negative conditions of their heart do not have soft, receptive, willing, and ready to wear your hearts when it's all over. At minimum, they're wiped out. At worst, they're hard and bitter. So what does it look like to do this? It can look and feel ugly, but it's something that needs to be done on, the, on a regular basis to safeguard against those emotions getting lodged down deep. So a practical is identifying your feelings, being honest about your feelings before God, especially. God, this is how I'm doing. God, this is hard. God, I'm having a hard time believing you. God, I don't feel like you're enough right now. God, I'm frustrated, disappointed, discouraged. Journaling those, journaling is huge for me. Processing, getting it out. Doing that in the presence of a safe person, whether it's a friend, a mentor, a counselor. And there is a difference between whining and complaining, right? I mean, these Israelites were amazing at that, whining, complaining, grumbling. and then. But just being, and also the contrast is just being really honest about how you're doing. Somebody, oh, I don't want to complain. No, just tell me how you're doing. What's going on? How are, you, how are you weathering this? So that isn't just whining and complaining to say, this is, this is how it's going for me, and it's hard. And also, I just want to dispel the myth that there's a rule that says you can't be having a hard time if you chose this, right? How many times have we chosen marriage, chosen children? chosen a new job, chosen to step out in faith and leave your job. And it's hard. So it's not, oh, I chose this. I can't really talk about it. I can't let people know that it's hard. I wanted to have this big family. I probably just need to deal with it on my own. No, even if you chose this, it's totally okay for you to talk about it and to talk about how hard it is. And I added one. based off of our conversation, our group conversation today, somebody said, when we were, I I can't remember what the question was, but it was something like, it might have been around the fear of leaning in, but somebody said, this isn't all all about me. You remember saying that, somebody? I remember hearing it. I remember hearing someone say, this isn't all about me, and that just really resonated with me. Like, 
oh my word, I've been like this in my life lately. And it felt really great to hear, oh yeah, this isn't all about me. And I have a real strong feeling that Joshua, and we're going to add a number six to your list as of today, thank you for someone for saying that, that Joshua understood that this was bigger than him, right? This wasn't all about him. So he understood that this was bigger than him. It was about fulfillment of God's bigger plan. It was about bringing glory to God. This is my favorite. It was about redemption of a community. And ultimately, it's God's story. And I'm going to be so selfish to say, it was for us, too. We're benefiting from this. So he understood this wasn't all about him. This is bigger than him. Our story, our journey. I was talking to my husband about this tonight. He says, this is not about just getting our dream jobs. We want the kingdom to be expanded and also the lives of those connected to us as a part of this. So it's bigger than him. It's bigger than you guys. It's bigger than me. It's bigger than us. I have some other content here. And I'm like, do I, do I not? We have till 55, is that right? Okay. I'm going to do it quickly. (laughs) I asked God maybe a month or two ago while I was journaling. I said, how would you desire for us to focus our time and energy during this season of wandering? And he gave me three quick words. He gave me you, meaning him. So he gave me him. This sounds so confusing. When I wrote it down, it said, you, me, us. So this is about him, this is about me, and this is about us. We don't know what's ahead, and, but, but, how, but what do we know? And so about my relationship with him, this is about deepening my trust through vulnerably laying out more and more with him. We have gotten ourselves into a situation that I think he has led us to that we don't have the solution to. So we are depending on him in a, to a whole new level. The security and the supports of that, you know, the security of having an income, the support of having benefits, all these things, they're, they're, they're taken away. We are depending on him to a whole new level. So this is about that relationship. This season is about me. It's about removing myself, being removed from the role that I was in and having an identity that's not based on that. Clarifying my identity as given by him, disconnecting attachments to my value and worth that are not from him and have been draining me, Um, noting that my worth is not given by those who I've helped and supported all these years, that my value isn't solely as a counselor and an emotional supporter, that he has an identity for me that might include those things, but that's not the sum total of my identity. And he spoke to me actually really clearly when I asked him, what is my identity as given by you? And he told me that my identity is wisdom and love. And 
that fits. That feels like the right fit for me. And I can bring wisdom and love to so many venues. So that has been a really um, cool process to strip away what I was leaning so hard into, to stay open and to hear from him what my identity was. And it's about us. Obviously, with my husband and I, I would say like our partnership is probably my most cherished gift. And going through something like this just refines it and purifies it in our communication. And we struggle, man. I mean, we struggle with like the stuff. Sometimes I'm like, are you not even believing anymore? And he's like, why? I can't even believe you're even asking me that. You know, and we get into these like, you know, like we're going for it. Like we're processing this. We're on the same page. We're doing this together. So the us is our partnership. The us is our family structure, kind of being intentional about the organization of our family and rules and boundaries as it relates to in-laws and parents and our little guy. And then also it's this transparency and connection with our community, which feels really vulnerable. And I just increased my transparency with like 200 women. (laughs) It's one thing to bring like a a few people into your story (laughs) and then to bring a ton of people into your story. But that's what it's about, right? If this is to be used for God's glory, if we're going to see him work, we we will see him work. We want to share it. We want you guys to share in it too. So you may not know exactly where you're headed or what the timeline is, but what do you have now and where can you focus your time and energy so that when you do enter into the next season, those things will be your strengths. Your tool chest will be robust and you will be at your best and you will be ready to claim your inheritance. So tonight as we close, there is going to be a time of quiet reflection, communion, and prayer, which Jennifer will kind of get up and tell you about. There'll be opportunities to stay here, to be prayed for, to go back, to have communion, to process anything that's kind of resonating um, for you from people's testimonies, from your time with your people processing the messages or processing the questions or just whatever else you've been processing So you might, I'm going to give you some things you might want to reflect on. You might already have your stuff and you know. But what do you sense God is saying to you? How do you need him to help you? And be really specific with that. What are you believing him for that you are desperate to receive some encouragement on? How is your heart Are there some weed seeds that are lodged down in there that need to be pulled up and cultivated out? Maybe you need to do some cultivating tonight. 